Hello and welcome to Views from the Market, Mid-Market Private Equity and M&A in Canada. My name is Mario Nicro. I'm a partner at Stackman Elliott in the Private Equity and M&A Group. For today's podcast, I'd like to welcome Sylvia Rasik. Sylvia is a partner and senior managing director in the Mergers and Acquisitions Group, Deloitte Canada. Sylvia, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Mario. I appreciate the, the invitation. Sylvia, well, we start the podcast by uh, asking our guests to tell us a little bit about themselves and a little bit about their group. So I'd love to talk a little bit about yourself. You've been doing deals for a very long time. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Thank you for and, reminding me. <laughs> <laughs> I know we've known each other for a long time and you, uh, you get lots to share for our audience. Yes, thank you very much. So, um, you know, I uh, provide predominant sell-side and buy-side advisory services to our clients. And, and when I think of our, our typical client base, it's, it's private companies, uh, which are typically families, uh, owner-entrepreneurs, uh, private equity firms, and sometimes even public companies that are looking to divest of an asset or, or maybe make a small acquisition. Um, you know, we've been doing this, or I've been doing this now for almost 20 years or so. <laughs> Thanks for the reminder there. Um, and it's been great to see, uh, you know, how the, the, the service and the product has evolved over time. Um, but it, uh, you know, the, the common thing is just, you know, providing advice to, 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 to people versus public companies and really making sure we get the best deal for them and, uh, adapting to, I guess, current market trends. And as we all know, it's been rapidly changing as of late. Our group, um, you know, we, we focus on, on, as I said, private companies. Typically, they tend to be about 20 million to 300 million or so in enterprise value, uh, and sometimes larger than that. And, and certainly, uh, you know, given what valuations have been recently, uh, we've got a few bigger ones on the go as well. Our group, uh, the Deloitte Corporate Finance Group, uh, focuses on many industries. I head up our industrials group nationally. Uh, we also offer advisory services to other sectors. So that would be consumer, healthcare, financial services, and technology, media, and telecom. And so we're pretty um, broad service offering, and we're, we're located in offices all across the country. Um, our largest office is located in Toronto, which is where I'm based, and we've got a team of about 35 or so uh, investment bankers uh, that uh, focus uh, on the mid-market. Within industrials, which is our probably one of our larger practices. We focus on a few subsectors, um, specifically transportation logistics, packaging, building products, building services, uh, and more recently, renewable energy. You know, of course, when I hear you talk about the subsectors and industries that you focus on, those are all the subsectors that have generally been uh, dramatically affected over the last couple of years in terms of the world that we live in. So um, lots to lots really? to talk about in terms of what you're working on. But I mean, I wanted to ask you a little bit about, about some of those subsectors because they've just seen so much change or activity. Like, for example, I know in the transportation and logistics sector there's just so much that's been going on i mean frankly covid itself brought up a ton of issues and now that all this you know supply chain issues that are going on so i just wonder if you can tell us a little bit about what you're seeing in that sector from uh, an m&a perspective from a deal perspective given the uh, it is one of those sectors that's been dramatically affected by by covid and by the uh, supply chain absolutely and when we think of transportation logistics it's really you know various points along the spectrum whether it's trucking, uh, people moving, and even last mile logistics. And all of those sectors have been impacted by, uh, by COVID. And I think we saw some return to, you know, 
or I should say some stabilization. And now again, the outlook is uncertain given session. But what we're seeing in some, in, in many of our custom businesses is their businesses that have really peaked. Like they're, you know, we all, all bankers and you know, anybody looking to acquire business always try to figure out how much of a COVID bump is there. And of course, if you're in customs brokerage rate forwarding, there's you know, going to be a significant COVID bump in there. But I think, you know, these businesses are not going to return to pre-COVID level. Uh, there's definitely, they're, they're definitely going to come out stronger. The challenge is, is, you know, how do we look at valuations? And you know, we had some peak valuations off of peak EBITDA and, um, you know, how is that changing? And again, given what's happening in, in the market. So uh, transportation logistics is definitely one that has really been under uh, the radar and there's been a lot of volatility and I don't know how soon we're going to have st- stability in the sector. That being said, we've had, we, uh, the Deloitte group has had a ton of deals and activities in this sector. At one point, we had seven deals on the go, um, and hopefully there'll be a few more deal announcements in the second half of 2022. And you find in the space, uh, you know, given all the variables and the fact that you're getting deals done, is it expectations are being met by using, you know, earnouts? Is it, is it just the, the nature of the buyer who's willing to look at the asset for the long term. I just what do you see as the? I mean, obviously, this uh, kudos to the Deloitte team themselves for being able to hush these over the line. But what are you seeing as as the key to getting these deals done with a lot of the volatility that's out there? Number one is, is finding the right buyer, um, if the right buyer who is really beauty is in the, in the eye of the beholder, and we really tried to discourage the use of earnouts. Uh, but very, very recently, there has been a bit more appetite for it because that gap between buyer and seller expectations is starting to widen, and that certainly helps it to bridge the gap. So the earnout gives some certainty to, or some comfort that if you know the the numbers won't slip, you know what is happening in the forecast, of course they can, um, you know, pay some consideration for it. But we really try to discourage against it. It's really, really important to find the right buyer for our businesses. So. We have a really great, a really strong network uh, within the Deloitte community and, and, and a really strong, uh, whether it's Canadian uh, or U.S. or you know, overseas buyers. And I think that's the most important thing. It's not perfect, but, you know, and we'd like to make sure that we go targeted with our with our processes. But that's that would be first and foremost. important. It always is, you know, you know, pandemic or no pandemic. But that is really the most important thing is identifying the, the best buyer for those businesses. And sometimes it's a strategic uh, and and uh, sometimes it's, um, it's a financial sponsor. One of the other areas I know you mentioned that you focus on um, is the packaging space, which I know even in my own practice, uh, I've seen just an enormous number of deals in the space, large, small, really yeah. just it feels like that space is being transformed by you know, private equity buyers, strategic buyers, just, yeah. it's it's just all over the place. I wonder if you tell us a little bit what you've been seeing and, and you know, your thoughts on why the space is so attractive. Love to get your perspective on, on that space, given you, you spend a lot of time on. Yeah, I'd love to be asked that question in about six months' time when I could speak to deals that have closed, because absolutely there are, there have been some deals that have taken place and closed in the Canadian market, but there will be a few more larger ones that are in play um, it's a sector that has strong valuations and, and without going into specifics and, and giving too much away, but pandemic or no pandemic, PE still has, you know, there's, you know, $3 trillion of capital to deploy. And this is a sector where they, they, they really go after aggressively, 
Um, and so uh, less so on the strategic, still strategic players who are interested, but this is a sector where you know, private equity is really identified as um, it's not going away. You know, I don't want to say that any sector is uh, recession proof or recession, but this is definitely one that, you know, perhaps is a bit, you know, less volatility. And so therefore it's one that's viewed as a very attractive one. You know, one other area I know you mentioned, um, Sylvia, is the building products and building services. And I know, I mean, I've I've had that challenge with clients in that space where they're really doing well. They're just having problems getting inventory <laughs> and more expensive yeah. inventory. And it's kind of changing the pricing and the modeling for the, um, uh, you know, the, the cost structure for their services. I, I'm just curious if you're seeing that play out in your deal flow in that space in terms of managing all the costs of transportation for that space, this supply chain logistics issues. So I wanted to get your thoughts on how, how you're seeing that play out in the building products and services space. On the building product side, I think this is a sector where we're seeing a huge COVID bump because there's been so much of demand. And we, you know, we have a few work, you know, processes where um, we have to be very mindful that, you know, is there, um, you know, is it a, how much of a bump is there and how much of that is sustainable? Because we're certainly seeing that um, supply chain is going to affect every industry. So absolutely, it has been affecting building products. But I think that there's been at least some predictability on, on when, you know, we can, um, you know, the, the product will come in. Um, and then in terms of costs or input costs, you know, I, I don't think any company is going to be, is going to say that they have not been impacted by rising input costs. Um, where we've seen companies fare better is when they are less reliant on inputs from from Asia. And so if those input costs are from anywhere in Europe uh, or, or North America, they're a little bit more insulated from timing issues and they've been performing better and, and doing better. But we're certainly seeing um, our customers having, you know, those issues of products coming from Asia. And we're certainly seeing those businesses have significant COVID, but just because of consumer demand and, and, and wants. So again, if there's a recession coming, like, again, we don't have a crystal ball. And I think anybody would pay unlimited funds right now if they had that ball and could predict what's going to happen in the next 6, 12, 18 months. I know you've kind of already hinted at it that you're in a dynamic deal environment. You're a lot of deals going on, but obviously there's, uh, you know, we always ask our guests about the crystal ball question. I, I uh, really want to ask you about it because it sounds like you're in a kind of key moment where you're working on a lot of deals and trying to get them over the line. And I want your sense of where you think uh, the deal environment's going and given all you're working on and the impact of yeah. the deal environment on, on getting these deals done. Yeah, that's a great question. Within industrials, we have 20 active deals on the go right now across the country. Um, and we will look at that pipeline um, and with any, you know, pipeline of, of live deals in a normal environment, there's going to be one or two that don't close for, for one reason or another. And what we do expect um, is that there will be, you know, diligence periods will be stretched out. And, you know, there's you know, deals that are near closing. Um, and I can speak from experience. We've got ones that are, you know, that couple of weeks away. It's the rush to close. Um, other ones that we are about to launch, uh, we're actually holding off. So September is a, a classic period and or a time to, to launch deals. And, you know, we'll certainly be mindful of whether we're going to be launching in September or maybe holding off a couple more months until we have visibility. You know, last year we were saying, let's not launch in September because there's so much being launched. There's so much noise in the market. So let's hold off a month or two. Um, now we're saying, well, let's see, you know, what, 
what the market's going to look like in September and maybe, you know, in terms of company performance and outlook, maybe we need another quarter to, to, to wait to hit the market. But, um, you know, the pipeline, um, there's nervousness in it. Um, we're still pretty confident some of our businesses are, are um, they're strong businesses and we think there'll still be good interest for it. And as long as that valuations gap or valuation expectation gap between buyer and seller is not too wide, we'll still get deals done. I know the industrial sector sometimes, uh, you know, is is one of the more resilient ones when you look at kind of rising interest rates or you look at, you know, some of these inflationary pressures, supply chain issues, all these kind of macro forces that historically, you know, the kind of products and services that represent the industrial sector have kind of done reasonably well uh, in, in this environment. I want to get your sense, you know, if we continue to see interest rates rise, continue to see the inflationary pressures, what's your sense for from an industrial space perspective for M&A activity? Do you see it being resilient, you know, is or is the nature of the deals change or is it ultimately going to come down to, uh, you know, some slowdown because of these factors? Well, there'll be, you know, pricing will come down, evaluations will come down, multiples come down because, you know, the stronger multiples are supported by the uh, availability of leverage. And now that we've got rising interest rates, um, that's going to reduce uh, multiples on deals. And so sometimes what we see is sellers are less likely to sell their sell and transact if they know that you know, if they hold on, and things improve, then we can hold up for a higher multiple. So if the sellers, like, you know, if we, again, I don't mean to repeat myself, but it goes down to that, that valuation of expectation gap. If the seller doesn't reduce their expectations, um, which we know is going to be an impact in, in industrials for sure, just because of the leverage markets, then, you know, we're going to see a slowdown in M&A. Sure. They're always, especially in the mid-market, they're always, you know, Entrepreneurs' agent stage of life, or you know, families and succession, is always you know deals to be done. It's just whether um, come to terms on pricing. I wanted to ask you one more question, if I could, before we go. Uh, you know, when we talk about industrials, traditionally, we haven't talked about you know technology and the impact of technology on these deals or on the on the space mm-hmm. or on the the M and A activity. I mean, I'm wondering if you're starting to notice that the even these type of businesses are being influenced by people who look at them through a technology lens or, or, you know, or is it, or is it still, this is about nuts and bolts in your space and, and it's very concrete and, and some of the kind of tech forces out there. I wanted to get a feel for you if you're seeing some of these businesses being driven by some of the tech forces out there. Um, Cause I know I've, I've seen some kind of tech investors investing in old school businesses who start to look yeah. at them as more like tech businesses, which is kind yeah. of weird, but I wanted to see given you, live it every day if if you're seeing these businesses being now sold through or bought through a tech lens not quite yeah like where we've seen technology play in our deals is whether you know i guess you know to begin with the role technology plays in terms of the, the company uh being efficiently run and we've seen some really surprising cases where because the company had actually made in technology investments you know had the foresight to do like you know 12 to 24 months before the pandemic hit they were really able to rationalize their workforce without impact on the business. And when the business rebounded and actually exceeded where they were pre-pandemic, they didn't need to uh, recall that workforce. So that was, you know, tech- technology uh, efficiencies. Um, we have a few businesses that, you know, is you know, tech companies are looking at in terms of if there's actually a, a service there that could be scalable. Well, not well, not as much. It depends, I guess, on on the particular business, though. So. 
Sylvia, I want to thank you for joining us. Uh, it's been great to get your perspective. Happy to hear that you're still busy. <laughs> that makes me happy. I'm happy to report that, and I hope you uh, say the same. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for giving us the perspective from the, the sectors that you focus on, which, you know, it's ironic. We all talk about tech uh, and all these kind of uh, what I call uh, you know, sectors that get a lot of the drama, but uh, our marketplace still is dominated by the, the industrials. I mean, that still is Absolutely. the kind of core. So it's, uh, it's nice to be able to talk about the nuts and bolts uh, when we think about what our marketplace is with someone who's living it every day. Thank you. Well, thank you for the invitation.